Welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this and future episodes. If you do, please subscribe on iTunes, Overcast, or Google Play. We also have a Facebook fan page where I post new episodes, articles that pique my interest, and various other goodies. Finally, if you want to follow me on social, I am at Matt Chittum, that's M-A-T-T-C-H-I-T-T-I-M, on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and happy running. Hello, runners. This is the Rambling Runner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Chittum. This is a podcast for all of the dedicated amateur runners who are working hard to get better while tending to the rest of their lives. And today, I'm happy to be joined by Amber Schreiner. Amber is from Erie, Colorado. She has quite a resume. She is a runner, a mom of teenage boys, a high school principal, and even a baker and her running PRs. This is quite a list, Amber. Thank you for joining us, first of all, is a 50K trail run in 449, marathon in 324, half marathon in 136, a 10K in 4357, and a 5K in 2156. That is quite a list. Amber, thank you for joining me. Sure. Thanks for having me, Matt. So before we get into it, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the, the PRs. I was looking through them, and the one thing that jumped out at me I shouldn't say one thing, more than one thing, but uh, one of the things that jumped out at me was kind of the 5K, 10K PR, which are basically run at the same pace. So I'd love to kind of hear the backstory <laughs> about that and, and kind of how you choose your races. Yeah, I was actually wondering if anyone ever picked that up. Um, I don't run a lot of 5Ks, so I actually haven't run a 5K. Uh, I think the last one I ran was four, four or five years ago. Um, so I just don't run 5Ks. Uh, my 10K PR was about a year ago. And so I've gotten quite a bit faster since I've been running over the years. And so I think if I were to go do a 5K, I'd probably have a much better time, but just haven't haven't done one recently. No, that makes a lot of sense. And before we get into your running resume, the thing that also jumped out was that you're a high school principal. And that is obviously a very stressful, time-consuming job. It takes a while to get to that level as well. So what, before we get into your running resume, what's your work resume? How do you kind of get up to be a high school principal? Yeah, so I actually uh, started out as a teacher. I started out as an elementary teacher, um, and then I moved up uh, to a literacy coach at a middle school. Um, and then I got recruited by a high school that was an at-risk high school uh, that students had been Basically, they had um, been kicked out of their typical regular high school and had come over to this alternative high school. And so I helped kids there with um, English and with history and with their reading skills. And then from there, I did some private tutoring for a while. And then I started in, in the online world. So I taught um, elementary and then I taught sixth grade math um, all online for a school that was uh, kindergarten through 12th grade um, in the state of Colorado. And so any students could come from the state of Colorado um, and get a tuition-free education. It's public school, but online. Um, so I did that for several years. And then I was an assistant principal for four years um, at a different online school. And then this is my first year as full-time uh, principal. The uh, principal that was the principal while I was assistant principal moved on to a different position, and so I took over. So this is my first year as, as principal, but fifth year as an administrator at the school. 
So you have a wide array of experiences, not only in grade levels, but the type of schools you've worked in. Uh, so that's fine. My wife is a teacher. She's actually an elementary school teacher here in Rhode Island who works with special ed inclusion. And so I have a little bit of history with that, just, you know, talking to her every day. So I'd, I'd love to hear you talk. What, what kind of school, what kind of student usually chooses the online public high school? I've never talked to someone who worked in one of those. Yeah, we have a variety of students. We've had a couple of students who were actually in the Olympics. Um, they're snowboarders. And so they were looking for uh, something that was alternative, something that they could, you know, they could practice their snowboarding during the day um, and, and get in their education in different hours than the typical brick-and-mortar school. Um, so we do have the athletes. We, uh, we also have some figure skaters and things like that. Um, a lot of our students, though, come to us because they just are not cutting it at their uh, regular neighborhood school. Um, a lot of the kids were bullied. Um, had social emotional issues, um, depression, just not feeling like they fit in. We have a big, big portion of kiddos that have those types of feelings and issues, and they just feel safer um, and feel more confident being on their own and not with uh, peers during during the school day. Um, so we have that group of kiddos. We have students who are accelerated, graduating um, a year early, and so they want to be able to school at their own pace. Um, we have students who are behind and they feel like being at school, you know, they're just, they're too pressured, you know, the typical neighborhood school, um, and just can't go at that same speed. And so they want to be able to take classes that are more, um, in alignment with where they're at and they can take their time doing. So we have kind of, we've got kids all across the board and, uh, because we're online, we can really differentiate their, their instruction and their curriculum to be, to, uh, fit their needs. This is so interesting. Now, we are not an education podcast. We're here for the everyday runners, but I feel like I talk to you about this forever. Not that I would be talking at all. I would just be listening, but <laughs> I would love to hear more. Yep. But I'm not going to bore you with, with the questions about work right now. I know it's the summer, and for teachers, that is the holy grail uh, in some respect. So uh, I'll, I'll stick to the running at this point. But So you gave me the work resume, which is very interesting. Uh, so what's the running resume look like? Kind of when did you get started, and when did you start taking it, uh, in, it seriously? Yeah, so I did not run growing up. I did track in seventh grade for one, one half of a season, I think it was. Um, and I was told that because I was having all these feet issues, I was having feet pain, I was told that I actually had to have surgery and get a bone removed in my foot. And um, being a seventh grader, I was like, no, thanks, I'll just stop running. So I just quit track and, and didn't run. Um, I was kind of a lazy teenager I was more into the social scene. Um, I got good grades, but I liked to hang out with friends and didn't do clubs or uh, sports at all in, in middle school or high school. Um, and then when, you know, after I got married and had kids, every once in a while I'd go out for a jog just because I felt like I needed to um, release some stress or because I'd eaten too much and felt like I needed to go run it off or something like that. Um, but it would be like a mile or maybe two and very slow. Um, in 2008, I had a friend that asked me if I would, if I would join her doing a sprint triathlon. And I had never done anything like that. I'd never done a race at all. And so I agreed to that and started swimming and started biking. Um, for the sprint tri, it's only a 5K. 
And so one day I got on the treadmill and just ran three miles. Um, and I ran it actually at an eight minute pace without having run at all. Um, I thought I was going to die. I got off the treadmill and literally like almost passed out and was super sweaty. But I thought, well, if I've never really run before and I can keep up an eight minute pace, that's not too bad. Like that's somewhere I can, I can progress from. So ever since then, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not a very good swimmer. So I wasn't too into the triathlon scene. Um, I do like to bike, but uh, the swimming just kills me. So I decided running was going to be my thing. Um, and so I just, I did some 5Ks and 10Ks. Um, I did a half marathon. And then in 2010, so about two years after that first sprint try, I did my first marathon. And then have been running ever since. Um, I've done seven marathons at this point, and I've got my eighth coming up on October 7th. And which one is that? Uh, St. George, Utah. So that one is a is a good one for me. My parents actually live in St. George, and so I like to go back and visit them. Um, it's a really pretty course with a lot of downhill running, which I feel like I'm I'm I excel in. I think the downhill is definitely where it's at for me. Um, I did the race back in 2013 and qualified for Boston off of that race. I did Boston 2015, and then I did St. George again the fall of 2015. And then I was signed up for it last year, but had some injuries, and so didn't end up doing it. And so I'm excited to do it again. It will be my third time. Wow. So that, that is really quite a progression to go from someone who was needed foot, potential foot surgery in seventh grade and then didn't do a whole lot athletically up until 2008. And then, boom, like really full on into it from that point forward. So I have, so I guess it seems like to go from 2008, not doing a whole lot athletically, to 2010, running your first marathon, you must have been at least pretty fit back then to kind of be able to, to really dive into the training at some point. Yeah, I mean, I would um, do aerobics classes every once in a while, <laughs> and I uh, mountain biked. My boys are actually named after mountain bikes. So my husband's really into mountain biking, and I'd, I'd go out and mountain bike with him. Um, but probably only, you know, every other week in the summer. Not not a lot. And um, aerobics, it was like just when I was a stay-at-home mom, uh, you know, when it felt like I could get out and, and go and, and drop the kids off at daycare. So it wasn't on a very um, regular schedule at all, and it was kind of hit or miss. So I was doing things here and there, but I definitely wasn't holding to any specific routine or really growing or progressing in any one area. Right. So at the, so once you got started in 2008, you know, you kind of, your friend asked you to join her at the Sprint Triathlon, and which is funny. You're not the only person on this podcast who has mentioned that kind of a friend a friend got them initiated in the endurance <laughs> sport genre, and then. Once you got started, what made you stick with it and, you know, really, really take it and, you know, kind of, I guess, instill it as a major part of your life from that point forward? Like, what was the main attraction to keep it going like that? I just kind of wanted to see what I could do. I think after I did the sprint, sprint try, I was like, what's next? And I had a, a group of friends ask me to join their Ragnar group. So I did Ragnar and I had a blast doing that. Um, and then I, I just was like, what's next? I need to have something always to look forward to and to train for so that I can get better. And so I just kept kind of having something, um, in the books every few months that I was training for. 
And, and it wasn't just to do well for that particular race, but to really kind of see what I could do. And um, each one, you know, it's interesting because I could, I can look back and, and look at my fastest times on races. And some of those fastest times were definitely not the hardest races I ever had. Some of those earlier ones took every single ounce out of me. <laughs> they were really hard um, because I just wasn't in as good of shape and I just had, hadn't, didn't have the experience yet. Um, but some of those were just really, really hard races that tested me and kind of tested who I was, if, you know, whether I was going to give up or, or keep going. And I really, really like having something that's results-based um, in, my, in my life where I can strive for something and then see how, how it pans out right away. I think uh, being an educator, you hope that your students are that you're helping your students and then they're going to be successful in life and you hope that you're making a difference, but you don't see results um, usually for a really long time. And so having more instantaneous results, uh, you know, a couple months out with a race feels really good. No, I can imagine. So you bring up a great point because, you know, oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this as well, it's, it's easy to focus on the PRs as, you know, kind of the best race we've done or really say, hey, how can I get back to that level? But at the same time, you know, the kind of the guts of running a difficult race doesn't necessarily uh, correlate with running a PR, or running your fastest time ever. So for you, which which record or not, not, not which, which PR or conversely, which race that you finish are you most proud of looking back? You know, they probably all of them have been in different ways. Um, the first marathon was, I was so proud of myself for just finishing a marathon. I never thought I was going to do a marathon until I did it. So that one was, it just brought a lot of um, confidence and just made me feel really good that I actually just completed it. Uh, one of them that I, that also stands out to me is I did CIM back in 2011. I think it was 2011 or 12. I think it was 2011, um, and that race I had been very sick leading up to it, and was on antibiotics actually when I was racing, and I did not feel good at all. Um, halfway through, I had to stop and throw up about three or four times. I was super dehydrated. I felt like I was just going to pass out at any given moment. And so when I finished that race, it's kind of funny. I was so depleted and felt like I was, I was going to bonk. I mean, I was bonking really bad, but I felt like I was about to pass out when I finally finished and all that adrenaline surge came up. And so um, I needed some, some calories and sugar right away. And I couldn't, I looked around and I couldn't see where the drinks, you know, like where Gatorade was or any snacks or anything. But I saw this guy and he was drinking a chocolate milk and I just went up to him and grabbed the chocolate milk and just drank it. <laughs> and he just looked at me like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I guess that's yours. And I was like, thank you so much because it, that was like exactly what I needed. I sat down and I, I kind of started to be able to see straight again and not be as nauseous, but. Um, but I just took it right out of his hand, which I've never done that before. So That's great. See, someone should have videotaped that. That would have been like the perfect chocolate milk commercial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That chocolate milk tasted really good. I can imagine. So that's, I love how you brought that up because especially for people who run the longer distance races, that the struggle for those races is just different than it is for like a 5K, 10K because the struggling can last so much longer. Whereas, 
you know, the mm-hmm. shorter race, it's hard because you feel like you're redlined and like there's lactic acid, you know, coursing through your body and it's just painful. Whereas the marathon pain is just a different kind of pain. And I've, I've experienced mm-hmm. both and it definitely is a different thing. And I ask this for every single person who's on the podcast. I'd love to ask you this as well is when you're going through that very, t- very tough race, like you just mentioned at CIM, what's your inner monologue during, you know, the, the hardest part of your struggles that gets you through that point and, you know, allows you to finish the race? How do you deal and cope with that stressful, painful situation? I just, I think there's not really a choice without, with most of these, you, you can't really, you can walk or you can run, but you got to get to the end. They don't have, you know, most of these races don't have like service vehicles that are going to pick you up and take you to the finish line. Um, And most of these are actually closed courses for a good chunk of, of the race. Um, Like top of, or uh, St. George, my um, family couldn't come and cheer me on until the last, uh, I think, 12 miles because it's just all closed. Um, so a lot of these races, you you just, there's no other options. You got to get to the finish line one way or another. And CIM was closed. I don't remember how many miles, but almost all of it. The whole, the whole uh, city was closed down. So, you know, it's either you can run, you can jog, or you can walk, but you got to get there one way or another. And uh, if if you can get there faster, then it's over faster. So <laughs> the inner dialogue is just get it done, just get that finish line. Oh, I love that. You either walk, run, or whatever, but you just got to get there. That's a, that's a great line. Um, so I have to ask you this: being someone who works in education, what is your school year training schedule like versus your summer schedule? What how does it differ, and what what are the details of it? Yeah, so I don't know if a lot of people know this, but administrators don't actually get a summer off. My husband is also a, a principal for a high school. He's at a brick and mortar. Um, he gets three weeks in July off, and, and that's the summer. Uh, myself, the, com- the uh, school that I work for is managed by a for-profit company, and so I'm an employee of that company. And so I don't actually get a summer off. I, I can take time off. I have a certain amount of days per year that I can take off vacation or personal time, um, but I don't have a summer off. With that being said, it is a lot lighter in the summer. We have kids uh, that take summer school courses when they've failed a course during the normal school year. School year, They'll take credit recovery courses, uh, but they, you know, there's very few of them. We've got a few teachers that come on in the summer for stipends to teach those courses, and I just have a lot of mostly projects to do for, for planning purposes for the upcoming year. So I do work all summer, but it's more flexible. And so I can get runs in, longer runs um, in the mornings without having to wake up too, too early. And I can be a little bit more flexible in my schedule. Um, so this past summer, I, I, I mostly ran in the morning just because it's pretty, it gets pretty warm here in Colorado uh, later on in the day. But I I would run about 6.30 or 7. Now, with the school year started, it actually, today was the first day of, of school for students. So um, we're back into the thick of it. Um, but but with school starting, I have I kind of have a, a little bit of flexibility just because I do work from home because I'm in the online world. But as soon as I open my computer, I have about 40 things to do all at once. And people um, instant messaging me and emailing me and needing things. So it's hard to break away, 
I try to get it done early in the morning before all that starts, but sometimes I just can't. And so I'll run, a, I'll run at lunch or sometimes uh, I'll run in the evening. And that's what I did today is ran in the, in the early evening. So I just kind of get it in where I can. And, and I try to plan it out on my calendar every Sunday, what I'm going to do for the upcoming week. But a lot of times things pop on and I have to rearrange. But I, I just make it a priority to get those runs in. Well, thank you for joining us on your first day back at school. That's really generous. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, so you mentioned yeah. before that you're, you know, you're training for the St. George's Marathon in Utah. So what does what did your yep. marathon training look like this time around, and how did it differ from other times? You know, what did you add? What did you take away? What have you learned over time to put into your schedule? So the good thing is when you've run a race uh, several times, you really know the course. So this will be my third time running this course. The first time I ran a really smart course or a really smart, smart race on the course, uh, I was really wanting that Boston qualifying time. And so I really thought through what paces I could run. I, I spent basically the whole year prior um, gaining speed, doing different downhill races, uh, really working on that fast turnover on the downhill and, and building up some leg strength. And so I was really prepared for that race. And I only needed a 335 uh, to, to qualify for Boston, and I got a 324. So I, I was definitely prepared to get that BQ. Um, and I started out at a, at a pretty good pace that wasn't too fast and wasn't too slow. And I was able to maintain and then speed up at the end. With that being said, the next time I, I ran St. George, I knew I'd already run Boston. I didn't really need a Boston qualifying time. I wasn't needing or wanting really to run it again right away. And so I thought, I've got nothing to lose. I can just go out there and just run as fast as I can and see what I can actually do in the marathon. So I started out really fast, way too fast. And so those beginning miles caught up to me. And when I got to the hills, there's about – I would say six miles of rolling hills and quite a bit of that is uphill. And when I got past that, my legs were completely fried because I had gone out too fast. And so the whole second half that's mostly downhill that you can really uh, get some good leg speed going and really have some good negative splits. I was dying. Uh, my legs were cramping up. I was barely hanging on. I luckily didn't have to walk or anything like that. Um, but I, when I stopped, when I got to that finish line, I, I just curled up into a ball under a tree and didn't move for a long time. <laughs> my legs were, were cramping really bad and it was really painful. And, uh, my time was five minutes slower than the, the 2013 Boston qualifying time. So it was a 329 that time. Um, so it just goes to show too, because that first, the first eight miles, I had way faster miles than that first time, but I just couldn't hold on, and my second half was so slow that it, it just ate away those minutes. So I learned a lot in that. I think I, I probably wouldn't have changed it just because I wanted to see what I could do, and I didn't have anything to lose, so I was glad that I tried that. But from that, I've learned that I need to run a smarter race. So in order to beat my PR time of 324, I'm going to have to go out at a at a good pace that's not too fast that I can maintain and know that I can speed up at the end. So that's what I'm hoping for. Um, with that being said, though, I have not had a great lead up to this race. I was injured last summer. I pulled a hamstring and it took quite a while to recover. And then I 
it was doing deadlifts and hurt my lower back and had some really not fun back, lower back pain for a while. So I've only been running again um, without any problems for about six weeks. So I'm not sure what to expect. I feel like my speeds are, are okay right now and I'm getting some really good runs in, but I don't want to put too much pressure on myself to blow my PR away with only having six good weeks so far leading up to this marathon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It is interesting how you're able to learn from some of your prior experiences and kind of move them forward. Like you said, running the same race a couple of times really allows you to kind of dial in that kind of dial in that that race planning, especially for a marathon, because I feel like a lot of people, you know, they don't run a whole, you know, run many of them. So there is a certain attraction to trying out new marathons, right? Like I've run two marathons. Mm -hmm. I've run, you Mm -hmm. know, two different ones. I ran Hartford and I've run Cape Cod with the idea of like, hey, I want to try out a new course. Let's try something new. Or after the first one, I think I have, I still think I have PTSD from my first marathon. I don't know if I ever want to go back to the Hartford Marathon after that first experience. (laughs) Um, so that is, that is pretty interesting. So when you are deciding what races to do, like you mentioned before, now you have, I, uh, you love, love having goals. You want to work towards, it's nice to kind of have something, um, that you're, you're really gearing up for. So how do you choose which races to do? So for the last year, because I have been injured and not been running well, I hadn't really picked any. And I, I was almost just thinking, I'm just getting older and my body's not going to do what it once did. And uh, maybe I just give up on racing altogether. <laughs> That's kind of where I was at. And uh, I actually started seeing a physical therapist in the Boulder area who was awesome. And she does dry needling. And so I got some dry needling done in my lower back that had been, it was spasming so bad from uh, the injury that I couldn't even like get in or out of the car like sitting in or, you know, when you get from sitting position out of your car, it was spasm and, and a tent up and I couldn't even get out of the car. So it was pretty horrible. Um, but she did this dry needling and it helped so much. It, it really broke up that uh, tissue and it really healed quickly. And then my back started feeling better. My hamstring wasn't acting up and I was running well again. And so as soon as that started happening, I started thinking, okay, what races do I want to do? Um, I had signed up for St. George back in May because you have to sign up for some of these races a little bit in advance. And I wasn't feeling great back then, but I was hoping and I was optimistic that I would be. So that's this one I'm doing because I want to go visit my family again and I want to kind of see if I can, if I can conquer the hills um, and do better than I did prior but moving forward after this, I don't have any races in the books, but I'm excited since I've been running um, healthy and feeling good for the last little while. I'm excited to pick some. So we'll see. I, re- I mean, I would love to do ones internationally, but uh, it's hard to break away with my job and, and also, you know, being on a budget. <laughs> it's not always, you don't always get to go wherever you want. That's a good point. You're right. The the budget definitely can play a factor in some of these decisions. Um, so I guess lastly, before we get into kind of, I'd like to do some little speed session at the end of Calm Strides, some quick questions for you. But before we get into that, um, did you ever need the foot surgery? You mentioned in seventh grade you ran half a season, and then they second mm-hmm. said you might need foot surgery. Whatever came of that diagnosis? So I don't know what the – Latin term is, but it's basically an accessory bone that I have, which sounds kind of fancy, 
But if you look at uh, where your typical, where, where people have their ankle and you go directly down, I have another knob that looks like another ankle um, that runs along both sides of my feet and it's on both my right and left foot. So those were the bones that when I was having pain, and now I know that pain is tendonitis because um, I've had it since. But when I was having that pain, I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, well, you shouldn't have these bones here. We should surgically remove them. Um, which is ridiculous. I just think doctors like to do surgery. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so as I, uh, as I started running again, when I turned 30 is kind of when I started uh, running and, and uh, training for that triathlon, I did get that tendonitis again, but I did some research and realized that I could stretch it out. And I started using a tennis ball and massaging it and just kind of breaking up that, that tissue that was, um, that was happening you know, it was kind of just that. I don't know if you've ever had the tendonitis where those um, tendons just feel like they just really need stretched out. There's like little micro tears through there. So I was getting that again, and I just uh, rolled it out, massaged it, and just kind of um, really worked it worked it over every night, and it went away. And I've had it since a few times, but nothing bad, and I can always get it to go away within a few weeks. And I can still run with it and everything else. So, no, never had the surgery, and I'm glad because I think they're actually – I think they're bones that I need. <laughs> I think they're okay. They help me. Right. Right. They're there for a reason. They're there for a reason, yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. So, here, let's get into some quick questions for you. I'll, the questions are quick, but you can take as long as you want. So, when you're running, when you're going for a workout, are you going with or without headphones? With. With. And what are you listening to? Um, I I used to run with friends a lot. And since then, I've had a friend who's moved away, another friend who's kind of gotten out of the running scene, another friend who's been injured. So I don't have – I haven't had friends to run with for quite some time, except for my boys. My boys will run with me sometimes, but they're busy and, and in cross-country, so not, not often. So I listen to – Music, if I'm trying to do something fast, so if I'm trying to do a tempo run or speed work, track work, I'll listen to some music, some fast tempo music. If I'm just going out for a long run or an easy run, I'll listen to a book on tape or a podcast. Got it. All right. So if you're you know, getting ready for the run, are you rotating shoes, you know, depending on the run, or are you sticking with one pair for a couple months and then buying a new one? So I use I've always stuck with one until recently and it's the Nike Air Pegasus I've had for a long time, like a long time, maybe six years. Um and I just keep going to the next version and the next version. But recently, the last hmm, four or five months, I just kinda got on this thing where I was buying different shoes that people were recommending and just to try them out. So right now I have some bricks and I have my Nikes. And I also have some hokas, and I rotate them. The hokas I usually wear for speed work because they're they're uh, the tracer, which is a really lightweight shoe. And so I'll wear those on the track or when I'm trying to do something speedier. The Brooks, I haven't really figured out. They're supposed to be more lightweight and more for speed work, but they feel kind of heavier. So I wear those more on just easy runs and run hill workouts, things where I'm not too concerned about speed. And then I wear my Nikes anytime I'm going for a longer run 
and trying to hit certain um, paces. So like last Saturday, I did 18 uh, miles, but I was watching my pace and I wanted 12 of those miles to be under uh, race pace for, for the marathon. And I ended up doing 19 with 13 at, at uh, under race pace, which is awesome. But whenever I'm trying to really focus on on a pace and I'm going a little bit longer, I'll wear the Nikes because those are my, my lucky shoes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you stick with them for six years. That's that's always a good sign. <laughs> so when you're so you you mentioned long runs. First of all, a 19 mile run with 13 at sub race pace. That's a heck of a run. So I know you're on a uh, a tightened uh, time frame for this marathon. But that you know, good for you, I man. That that sounds great. Um. So after that long run, what is your favorite post long run meal, and where are you getting that meal? So I usually walk in the door and drink uh, muscle milk <laughs> immediately. I just try to get my protein as fast as possible. And uh, then I'll usually take a nice warm Epsom salt bath. Sometimes I'll brave it and take a nice bath, but uh, usually the nice warm Epsom salt bath. And then usually when I'm done with that, I start getting kind of hungry. So my, my go-to and my favorite thing is usually just a bowl of oatmeal which people think I'm kind of crazy because they don't think oatmeal is good, but I love oatmeal and I, I uh, put different toppings in it every time. So sometimes I'll do like peanut butter with some chocolate chips. Sometimes I'll do um, some blueberries, um, raspberries, you know, whatever I've got around, but I like to mix it up. And a lot of times I'll, I'll put the chocolate chips in because they kind of go with everything. Oh, of course. Of course. But I've never heard peanut butter. <laughs> that's, that's a new one for me. Yeah, the chunky is the best because then you get little bits of nuts, too, in there. That's always fun. Oh, there you go. All right, so uh, you <laughs> talked a little bit about races you've run in the past. What is your favorite race? Not necessarily the one you've run the fastest. If that is the case, hey, go for it. What's the your, your favorite race that you've run so far? Um, so I really like the downhill races. So there's this this race um up in the up in the canyon and it starts at um Loveland Pass and that is what is it, twelve thousand something feet elevation. It's the highest elevation um half marathon in the nation. It's called the Slacker Half because you start way up there and then you run down to Georgetown, which is about twenty four hundred um feet elevation drop in a half marathon so it's a fun one i've done that one three times that half marathon and what's what's so great about it is even though you're running downhill the first few miles feel really really hard because you're at such high elevation but every mile it feels easier and easier because you're dropping so much uh, elevation your breathing just feels easier and easier Uh, your legs start feeling harder and harder because you have so much pounding on the downhill but but it's a really fun half marathon. So I've done that one three times, and I I, I want to do it again. It's always uh, June time frame here in Colorado. Oh, so pretty good a pretty good time to run run one as you're getting ready for your marathon training, I guess. It also sounds mm-hmm. like a place where where it'd be a great place to run a PR. <laughs> that's for sure. Twenty four hundred. Yeah. Feet drop. So that's yeah. That's my that's that's my half marathon PR. The one thirty six. That was the slacker. So. 
um, there it is a little bit, you know, uh, if you've run a race where you run downhill for a long time and then there's some up, it really hurts your legs. So there are some ups in this, in this half marathon as well, but mostly down, all down. So, uh, I, my legs respond well to the downhill. I think just cause I have mostly strong quads, not, not so much strong on the hamstring part for that pills. Right. Well, I, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but after hearing that, I'd love to hear how you ran your first half at the St. George Marathon your second time around. Because you mentioned that your finishing time was 329, which is almost exactly eight-minute mile pace, I think. So if you mm-hmm. ran the first half significantly faster, how fast did you run that first half marathon? Well, the first, like, eight miles, I was at, like, a 710, 715. <laughs> so, oh, you were moving. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of those miles were, like, 650s. I was I was really moving. So I, now I know. That was too fast. <laughs> now I know. But I – So you must have had, had, had dreams. Yeah. Yeah, you must have had dreams of, like, hey, the, like the sub-seven-minute marathon. <laughs> I thought I'm running good and I'm feeling good and – Everything was great, so I just thought I'd ride it out and see how long it lasted. It didn't. It it only took me to the hills, and then once I switched gears and started going up, I was pretty much done. I was fried. So that you just live and learn there. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Amber. This has been fantastic. I love hearing. Uh, love hearing your running story. I followed you on Instagram at Running with Moxie. Um, that's all spelled out. Running with Moxie. And uh, you know, first of all, good luck at your upcoming marathon, and thank you for doing this. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we get going? No, but thank you so much for having me, Matt. It was it was fun. I always love talking running. Always. Oh, me too. So thank you, Amber. <laughs> Sure. Take care, Matt.